Hello and welcome to the Handstand Factory podcast. This time only with me. Um, Emmett is not here. Uh, I have basically buried him behind the house, so you'll never hear from him again. From him again. Um, jokes aside, I am in um, Turkey at this artist habitat that's called <clears throat> Tada, which is a place run by two friends of mine, um, Till and Denise. They are, they basically built up like from a large house here. Um, they built up like a, yeah, a hard artist habitat where there's loads of, of various um, either artists or other interested people come here and live here for a while and volunteer and or work on their artistic projects and so on. So I'm here, yeah, primarily to volunteer, I'd say. Um, <clears throat> the is like they are building some like new houses to be able to because uh, they, they do host retreats here and so on and the handstand factory uh, we have had our retreats here for two years in a row and we are also planning to have our next ones here so i just got the idea that okay fuck them i can just go here it's really kind of it's very out of the way there are almost or basically no people coming in and out of this habitat like and everyone that like arrives are tested and so on so essentially the uh, little bubble that is here of seven people that neither leave uh, or go anywhere uh, it feels almost as living without covid which is kind of weird uh, but it's in kind of in the middle of the forest and I am helping with a bit of construction work even though I am certainly not experienced in that I'm learning a lot uh, so I've been spending like the last yeah three to four weeks here and I'll be here for a while longer and essentially not even leaving the habitat until I go home which is pretty glorious. They also have like a huge training space and the houses they're building are really beautiful. Uh, I'm working under a guy named Till, uh, who is an absolute genius at construction and also making his construction look very artistic. So it's pretty cool to be able to partake in. Um, and yes, uh, this is also the reason why I'm sitting here looking at the computer screen, pretending to have a conversation with myself. Um, and I thought to talk about a couple of uh, topics today, which I mean, I've loosely mentioned here and there throughout the podcast. And yeah, those of you who listen or have followed us for a while might have seen and or heard um, uh, me talk about that stuff before or even seen videos and stuff. And the topic is basically a little bit about my performance career and um, injuries, uh, because if you uh, are a performer and you put yourself through all that nonsense and strain that you uh, will be forcing yourself to if you are a full-time performer you are going to get wrecked sometimes and i've gotten wrecked sometimes and um it's basically part of the game now uh it's easy to kind of like i'm, I'm not if off the perspective, as you know, of no pain, no gain, it's not about that, but like you're, as we talked about before in the podcast, like it's, it's a lot about you're basically operating in a risk zone when you do these types of activities anyway, like you are, you're exposing yourself for an amount of, of training for a lot of variables uh, in kind of your, or that, that will interact with your, your physical work. And like, just over a long enough time uh, line, the likelihood of getting injured is high. And uh, then I also want to talk a little bit about like various mitigating factors and how I've dealt with them. And very many times the way I dealt with them was not particularly smart. Um, 
and uh, yeah just share a little bit of my experience um in that sense and i'll also talk a little bit about the injury that i'm i'm currently kind of working through so um yeah i guess i can start just saying a little bit about kind of my career as a performer or kind of as an athlete i guess and i started out of course doing karate when i was 14 i was in bad shape kind of kid like video game kid and I had like back problems and stuff. And then I was at a physiotherapist who told me that karate is good for your posture. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know a guy that does karate. Maybe I should check it out. And I did. And I became completely obsessed from day, day one and uh, essentially became kind of, a, yeah, sort of a weeb of the 90s, I would assume. I'm totally into like Japanese culture and all that. And like uh, reading all the texts on karate and learning like as much as I could about Um and through th those years, of course, I was very young and like the the injuries that you might get from like, I mean, like the most of the karate styles aren't even full contact and you're not trying to beat the shit out of each other. So, I mean, okay, yeah, you, I mean, I got a blue eye and like, yeah, like a, a sprained toe and all that crap, but nothing like significant really. Um, and then around 19 started doing breaking, uh, got into that through basically first of all the vhs like freestyle session three i saw that from a friend of mine who was into hip-hop and i was like holy shit i need to do exactly that thing and i saw a guy named pablo flores on that video do flares and he has one of some of the best flares in history and i was just like okay i need need i need to do this <laughs> and i started getting into that and of course you are then 19, like 18 19 years old you have no methodology you have no uh resources like in terms of youtube or anything and i just did the pause play pause play on the vhs to just try to figure out how to do a six step and a windmill and so on came across some tutorials on like 56k internet uh for windmills and i started training that and Later on, I mean, like breaking did offer me loads of injuries and very little wisdom to deal with those injuries. Like, I remember I was thinking about it here yesterday that <clears throat> back back then we'd be like, oh, yeah, this guy has wrist pain. Give him some Voltaren. Like Voltaren is essentially diclofenac, a anti-inflammatory for those of you that don't know the compound. But uh, yeah, so people would pop a couple of, of those and we'll be good to go. Let's just run into action. And uh, obviously that was not very smart when people were working on like jumping into freezes and doing flares and air flares and all these like very high impact wrist moves. Obviously it doesn't go very well. Like your wrist is busted, you take some painkillers and you just go at it again. And people obviously got more busted wrists. And we were a bunch of kids essentially. We had no method or even thinking about method it was like yeah kick your leg higher we didn't stretch like there was so kind of little uh thinking regarding the learning things and the ones that got good were the ones that either had like higher level of talent than the others or just were lucky to kind of stumble upon certain methods or had good bodies in either or other way and of course everyone trained really hard but um like looking back at it and also even in breaking, seeing the amount of, uh, like, you know, if you look at YouTube nowadays, you find, like, a ton of tutorials and, like, people with good good ways of thinking just because, like, the community became large and, like, of course, analytical, analytical minds are going to get into it and 
like a lot of the guys that were dancing back then are still dancing, but they've had 15 years of experience and see how there are smarter ways to do this than just like throwing yourself at the floor. Um, and uh, yeah, so like during those years, I remember I had a lot of wrist pain. Uh, like it would just come and go because like, yeah, if you train, for example, flares, you're going to get some wrist issues because you're slamming your hand on the floor and until you're really good at it, there is no way of of um, making sure that your that your center of mass is being lifted as you put down the hand, as as will happen when you're good at it. So there was a lot of that. I mean, some shoulder issues here and there, but like those were not as prominent, at least for me back then. Um, breaking uses a lot of kind of bent arm movements and kind of like you go a lot up and down in these freezes and air babies and so on. But like I didn't, I never had much issues with with the shoulders back then it was mainly the wrists and you'd like pull your groin from doing power moves that was a classic everyone's like oh yeah i got like the groin pull again because i did some stupid shit without warm-up oh uh, wow <laughs> what news um so like and then kind of entering into circus then which is kind of the main topic that has concerned my last um yeah 12 15 years of my life um and kind of the hand balancing stuff there like i mean i was 23 when i kind of actually got properly into it and by that time i had understood largely actually through the failure like or failure is maybe the wrong word but like i did feel that like breaking like i kind of never got to where i wish I did with it back then, uh, even though looking back at it, I mean, it perhaps never was my thing to like go into battles and all do all that stuff. I think it's really cool to see, but um, I had kind of like, there was a bunch of things that I didn't manage and I did kind of, I was always interested in the kind of analytical part of it. And as I became, as I started this new uh endeavor then with like learning hand balancing as i met uh, these few circus people in norway that were very young at the time but they introduced me to this guy named cory tabino from the states blah 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 and starting to train with him i started to see look oh, shit i was learning this hand balancing thing really fast um and it's loads of fun but i knew that okay i am 23 and apparently the people that go to circus school they're like 17. so i wanted to analyze and i wanted to understand and i wanted to kind of get like depth knowledge about like, okay, how does this work? Because I was basically figuring if I, I don't understand how this works at this age, uh, I'm not going to go very far. And also, I mean, I had like a level of like, I, I had like basically a misconception there. Oh, no, I am 23. I am too old. That was basically my, my way of thinking, which is also nonsense seeing how many that I've now seen that like started much later in life and yeah, got pretty good. And Obviously, you have an advantage when you start when you're young. Uh, you have a higher capacity of training, and you have many, you have more training years that you'll be able to do at full quality than if you do a bit later. But then again, the, the how to say the differential between those two categories: someone starting when young and someone starting older is going to be it's going to start getting relevant once you get towards very high levels um, and kind of that mid to even high level stuff. Uh, is going to be accessible even for someone starting older it's just that you might need to be smarter and that's exactly that thing because in my early days of circus i wasn't exactly smart either i trained seven days a week for i don't know seven years or something like that and i mean 
I got good, but uh, it was more kind of in spite of my training methodology than uh, because of it, I'd say. Um, uh, because I was just too obsessed. I was so focused and so, like, there's just so much uh, drive. Like, my drive was just insane. I couldn't let it be. And this is something that wasn't smart and that I've had to struggle with for many years just because the habits I've built up through those years and that kind of the intense, or like, both joy, but also just, like, the, how to say, the, the sensation of... Uh, being in the practice mode is something that I absolutely love. It's kind of a meditation for me and a way of, uh, yeah, a way of expressing myself, I guess to say, but like, it's more just a zone that uh, is important for me to visit on, like, if not necessarily a daily, but at least like a very frequent basis. So um, with all of that, um, like it, I had, like, I would end up, with injuries, of course, but it's interesting to see, like I had such a high capacity back in those years that I could just smash it so hard and so much. And like, it just, I wouldn't budge. Like I barely was injured during circus school. I had like one shoulder issue that took a couple of months. I had a couple of like smaller wrist issues, but like I can only remember one sickness, one specific injuries from circus school uh, of my shoulder. And the rest were kind of like smaller ones that would just like come and go as like you get those like niggles and pains when you have your practice, but nothing significant at all. And I attribute a lot of that to due to luck and due to just having a yeah, very high capacity at the time. Um, and if I did have uh, like better methodology at that time, I would uh, certainly be able to avoid a lot of those problems. However, um, there is something interesting in that kind of, uh, how to say, that uh, that age or that like energy that I had back then, because I've been thinking a lot about the fact that nowadays when I'm older, I'm much more kind of, I think about what I do, I like the consequences of how I practice and so on, which is kind of something that happens with maturity for most people, I think anyway, uh, it is part of, yeah, aging and so on. Um, and like, I think it's, it's a common kind of notion this, that like, oh yeah, I wish I knew this when I was younger. I wish I was this smart when I was younger, but being younger is like, is by default not knowing those things. And there's something that like I've really thought about when I've seen a lot of like the crazy b-boys out there and the crazy trickers and the crazy like street workout people, all of those that have no kind of, they don't have an external eye telling them what to do. And you see these extreme people who just become so damn good at their disciplines. Uh, and they're so dedicated and they, they have like, in like their practice methodology might not be the best, but still they're just able to become like superheroes. And... I'm not saying that like this is for everyone, but like there's what what I have thought a lot about is that like uh, I think that too much methodology for someone who is young and just full of fire can actually be detrimental simply because like they are so like if you are that driven, like having someone tell you what to do is going to make you rebel or just say, oh, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. I know better. I thought like that too. Like when the gymnast coach in school told me like, idiot, you need to rest. I was just like, no, I know my body. I'm just going to keep doing this. Of course he was right. Like absolutely right. And I wish I listened to him now, but like 
that fire and that kind of drive I had at the time, there was basically no stopping it. And I've seen so many people who are young and have that drive and you have those who are able to cope with that and they just become absolutely insane. Um, there is this one Japanese tricker I can think about particularly, Shosei Iwamoto or something like that. We'll try to link him in, in the description because I probably butchered his name and I'm not sure if I even remember it, it correctly. But he's like 15, 16 or something and he's just unstoppable. And I'm sure if you had this guy just being told what to do, it, or, or I'm, I could assume at least that it just wouldn't turn out the, in, in that extreme same way. And then on the other side of things, of course, you have people within in the sports and stuff, such as gymnastics or like even all completely other different types of sports who do have a coach and are trained and get really good and they have the follow-up and so on. And like, I don't think there is a better and a worse. I think like certain things can fit certain personality types more uh, than the other. Uh and yeah, that was a long rant about a lot of those things, but uh, I do find them relevant in terms of like where I was and like the uh, the things that I went through kind of training wise and like the the mistakes that I made along the way. And uh, it's so funny, it's, it's classic, like you, you make a mistake and then you say to yourself, oh yeah, now I've learned from the mistake. And what I've, <laughs> now I say it here, <laughs> what I've learned from my mistake is that it often takes you like a couple of years or maybe even a decade to be able to apply that kind of quote-unquote wisdom that you should have uh, or that, that you kind of received from from whatever mistake you were making. So like these kind of tendencies are it's seemingly harder to, to apply than they might seem since it's a kind of you need to use your rational intellect to override your kind of emotional response to either if it's like you're you're too focused or you're too excited about something or you just want to try one more time because it was so fun like being able to override that can be hard and i think very relevant and very important at certain times but also at, as i said at other times it might be important that you actually go fully into what you're doing because hey you're lo you love it right so if you have that kind of drive to it it's 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 a difficult balance to to keep there and i think something that it doesn't just take a year or two to kind of find your your um, your rhythm within that and i i can certainly say it's taken me over a decade and i'm still struggling with the same problems just like within kind of the amplitude of the of the problems are is slightly smaller so that like i feel i'm making maybe smaller and more shorter term mistakes but hey we're all human so i don't think there's any no one is perfect in these these regards and um yeah like looking at like when i was in circus school uh, i was training like loads and loads and loads of doing aerial straps doing handstands like way too much and uh, I was also looking like a lot into like that was this was like in, in the kind of early days of internet um or like movementy fitnessy internet stuff so that like like I started learning about kind of prehab and like rotator cuff exercises and all this and like naturally I just heaped on like a hundred thousand of them for a period of time which didn't help me at all because I just added more training onto onto a fatigued body um but I did kind of like look into a lot of the anatomy and the um like just 
the joints and seeing, okay, how does all this fit together? Because I wanted to understand about that. And I, for a period of time, I was really like into that way of thinking, what do they call it? It's structural balance that you need to have the push and the pull and you need to have this and that. And like I just add, added tons of pulling training onto like a half dead body. And yeah, it didn't help. <laughs> um, and yeah, later over the years, I've kind of stripped it down to more kind of basic things like stimulus versus recovery so on but like there are certain variables within all of this that are relevant and some of which i'll get to um, as we go along here but moving into kind of my performance career uh this was an interesting shift because you're in circus school you have basically all the time in your life is delegated to doing your training right so you have basically set up a scenario where you are in the school where everything is provided for you kind of facility-wise. Uh, you have classes, you have teachers, you have all this stuff is kind of geared towards you getting as good as you can. Um, I mean, I just had like a part-time job on the side, like teaching or stuff like that. So everything was just like streamlined to, to get really good at this. Um, and then boom, suddenly you're into the performance field. You need to kind of handle all your like admin and like all that stuff and like okay all the stress of getting a job and you're uns uns insecure and like shit like okay i was in this school and i loved it but like oh now everything is real all my friends are like we're not kind of that gang we were in school and um but i was lucky and i had a job uh with the company seven fingers that i was going to do like a few months after finishing school and that kind of gave me some level of relief because like I had basically gotten that through luck. Another guy who uh, that I know that I'd seen an act I did, and he was like, oh, yeah, uh, he liked that. And he had gotten that offer from Seven Fingers. He couldn't take it, so he gave them tip that I was finishing school and so on. Um, and going with them was great uh, because, like, I got to kind of try my skills on stage for real uh, in a show several times in a row and all that. And like i feel i was very unprepared for the real world um i think very similar to when you've done uni or when you've like you educated for a job and you think oh yeah i know this stuff and you come into the business and then things are very different and there's loads of things that you basically need to crash course yourself through during the first months or year or years of your career since yeah school and uh, the real world doesn't necessarily always correlate though school is all also of course important um so i went with them and um i was lucky like in in terms of like the workload was pretty like chill we didn't have that many shows and so on so i got to kind of like try to play an act and kind of feel how it was to be on tour uh, much harder to get to do your training and all of that i was used to being this guy who's always like prioritizing training in front of almost everything suddenly you, you don't have the facilities so easily you need to kind of uh, get by with kind of junk setups in a hotel room or just like just make it work somehow um and naturally i kept on doing way too much because that's that's how i rolled um and that time was actually pretty chill like because we had so few shows but like later on i moved into a show called knitting piece which i performed in for three years and on this one we had like rather heavy schedules we would have several long runs of like five shows a week like where we would be in one place and i think we played like 25 shows in one place and another place we played the 40 shows basically four weeks of uh, of five shows a week um uh no wait eight weeks sorry oh, mathematics holy shit um 
and um, yeah, those were pretty heavy because I again I tried to keep similar training structure to what I always was used to and like seemingly I was surviving it though I didn't make any progress uh, I was keeping going and um, the like with knitting piece I started experiencing some issues um, simply because like uh, it, the, the show was really heavy like I put in way too much stuff and that is something that like I mentioned it slightly before but it's a very classical thing that in circus like you want you want to put your your kind of cool stuff into your act you want to you want to perform the things that you've you've trained and worked for like the things you like and so on but you come out of school where you always have the best um uh, or where everything is set up for you and then you enter into performance arena where you not only do you need to perform your shit and be consistent you need to do it several days a week you need to do it when fatigued you need to do it when sick like all these like uh variables are suddenly like added onto what you do and um it's very different from like being uh, a sportsman like you where you have a coach and like you train yourself up to being like to peaking at competition you do your absolute best there and then you can take it easy like with this is like when you have like five or seven shows a week you like you you are going to go on stage and you are going to have the adrenaline you're going to push through you're going to do stuff you shouldn't and I think most people that have performed know the sensation of being on stage. You're you're doing your routine and like you pull off the move and you feel like, okay, that was not nice. But like it didn't hurt that much because like your adrenaline is pumping and like the audience is there. You, you're just you're just running through the motions and you're basically on super strong adrenaline based painkillers in your body. Um, and um that stuff like over time starts getting to you um i would get like a shoulder injury um uh, through knitting piece which i back then uh i was able to just rehab it through keeping playing shows keeping training similar to what it was i did like a little bit of just some, some super spinatus random exercise but like i just got through it i don't know like like now I'm like, and I'm getting to get to that, but I'm going through like a similar type of injury as I had back then. Uh, but uh, now I need to be a lot more methodical with it. Uh, and it's taken a lot longer while back then I was just smashing and somehow I just made it through it. Um, and then like I got to perhaps the worst injury that I've ever had, which happened also in knitting piece. Uh, it's very hard to explain what I was doing, but essentially I was uh lifting or like i had a harness on uh, like a climbing harness which was attached to a slack rope and the slack rope was attached then to the other side of the stage so uh, if i walked forwards the slack rope starts tightening uh which is not a problem if there's not a person on the slack rope but when there's a person lying on the slack rope and i'm pulling him off the floor uh, by walking forwards and then I grab onto the truss, and the truss is essentially like that—that that, the setup that the stage is uh, is made of. These these uh, bars that you can climb, uh, where you attach lights and all that crap. And like I would basically, the scene would be kind of a funny one where we would come out. I would have the harness on. He'd lie down on the rope. It would be obvious, like okay, what the hell is going to happen? And then I kind of I charge forwards, and that that pulls him off the floor while he's lying on his back on the rope, kind of balancing as I walk forwards. 
and the walking is heavy, but not too bad. But then you start climbing the truss. I needed to climb maybe like three meters and then attach the rope to the truss so that it took the weight off of me. And the interesting thing is that we barely ever did this in rehearsals. We did it a few times, um, but uh, we it, it's, it's not that technically compli complicated. It's just a lot of brute force um, and knowing where to put your legs and so on. And I never really felt that this was very heavy to do because in, in the show, again, like it was in the middle of the show, I was like drenched in sweat warm, like basically those perfect kind of conditions. I was like, like I was not breathing heavy, but I was just like, I had been on stage several times and I was like fully, fully alert, fully warm. And we'd go on and we'd do this. And every time I did it, you'd also kind of play it a bit for the audience. Like, like sometimes I'd pretend to slip, for example, and all kinds of stuff to kind of make it, make it alive. And I remember like way later, we did it once in a rehearsal and I was like, Jesus, this is heavy. Like I had no idea this was so heavy because then I had to do it without that kind of like the performance buzz uh, giving you superpowers. Uh, but uh, after, like when we were doing 40 shows a week um, at this one place in Sweden, uh, I was really tired, sleep deprived. Everyone like it basically kind of sucked to play out there like many mm, many things that made it difficult for all of us to to perform out there like we had to travel quite far we got home very late and etc etc but mm, i did the scene and i my hip was were lagging behind as i was cl climbing the um, the truss and like i was kind of feeling that like to get the rope to uh, the or like to get my hips to a position where i could take the hook of the rope and attach it I had to kind of like I had to pull my or basically push my hips forwards towards the truss and um, I basically did quite a jerking motion forwards to kind of just get me there and I felt like this kind of like mini detonation close to my spine it was just a kind of feeling and it hurt quite a lot but it wasn't like that bad there and then and I was like oh shit that hurt okay fuck him let's go uh, finish the scene uh, and then I would do another hand balancing act thing later on where I would basically I would finish the act with a turning one arm um, on one cane and I'd had to have to press down the the, the, um, the one arm to to finish the routine and when I pressed down I would feel that like it was really kind of painful in my side slash back it was kind of like on the side of the spine on the right uh, Finished the show and didn't feel so great, but yeah, whatever was kind of my attitude. Next day, we do the same show again, of course, and I did the same acts. And after that, like when we were finished, I was still not feeling too terrible. But then a friend of mine told me like, yeah, maybe you should stretch your hip flexor. And I did. I was lying on this kind of foam roller uh, under my sacrum. I pulled one leg to me and I let the other leg elongate. And afterwards, I couldn't get off the floor almost because... I had probably wrecked the hip flexor or slash something there in the in the kind of QL uh, psoas region. I tweaked it pretty badly, and then I stretched it heavily afterwards, still while being very warm. And voila, I was wrecked. Uh, and yeah, couldn't get out of bed almost in the morning. We had, a we had to get in a replacement to play like a super ghetto version of the show. Uh, and I was basically out of hand balancing almost for six months because I couldn't bend in the side. Uh, I could not bend in the side and I could not do any leg lifting action. Um, it was rather terrifying because like I, 
if I would do kind of, if you hang in a bar or from a couple of rings and you do that kind of pelvic tilt under and then start lifting your legs upwards, that action was just absolutely horrifyingly bad. Doing a sit-up was okay, but that kind of sit-up where you where you hook your legs in kind of uh, under some stall bars or something, so when you, you, you actively pull with the leg to get yourself higher up, this was also undoable. Bending in the side, absolutely terrible to do, like any kind of flagging action for, for handstands were just... Like it was just forget about it on the on the right side, which is which was also my strong arm, um, and naturally mega sad face. I was yeah pretty pretty down during that period. We didn't have any shows though during like about half a year there with knitting piece, so I was kind of lucky, and nothing worked. I went to physios. I tried to do all kinds of rehab, but anything where I would kind of like round my lower back uh, would just like it it would fuck me up. Like I remember once, like we were, me and my ex-girlfriend, we were gonna go watch a. We went to the cinema, and I brought two handstand blocks to put in my lower back so I wouldn't slouch the back because it hurt so fucking much. Afterwards, and I was all, always seventy years old after standing up from a chair. Um, and yeah, as I said, like it was weird because since it felt like nothing worked. Um. Like if I did like arching exercise, I didn't do anything. Side, I couldn't do. Front, I couldn't do. And then like I remember it was it was like closer to the autumn again. I hurt myself in November. And by next August, I was still experiencing like I couldn't do much. Uh, and then I did like I was in uh, this gym and I was bored and miserable. And then... There was an ab wheel there, and I just did a couple of reps on the knees. Uh, just rolled out, like, light. And then I was like, hey, shit, what is this? I can bend in the side. And to this day, I have no idea exactly why the ab wheel does exactly this. But to this day, I'm doing ab wheel because this injury is still there. Like, I had some issues with, like, the same thing now about three weeks ago. And I hadn't done any ab wheel or any psoas stretching for a, quite a long time. But I started doing that again, and it basically handles it. Uh, and what is interesting, even like back then, if I only would do stretching on the psoas, it would also feel terrible. And my only kind of bro science explanation, or like, at least from an experiential perspective on this is that uh, any kind of uh, muscular action which would shorten the psoas, i.e., leg lift, or kind of like if the like if the kind of the hip flexors are allowed to actually contract, like it would just cramp up them the entire area. That's how it felt. While with the ab wheel, since like you're keeping a straight line from your knee and up to your torso, and as you roll out, you're applying pressure on the stretched muscle. Um, somehow, that's at least the what from a experienced uh, perspective seemed to do something. And it was the only thing that like significantly changed anything. And I did like just literally three times 10 reps of, of ab wheel rollouts on the knees uh, for three weeks. And I went back to performing um, back then. And yeah, I've kept that around ever since because it just, yeah, just hits right somehow. And also combining that with with the hip flexor stretches I've started to do now like the last three weeks because like my hip flexors are dreadfully um, stiff and it somehow seems to also help me just to, to build back some general mobility there. And again, I like I don't uh, know enough about and it seems like almost no one knows enough about like all of these 
perfect relationships between uh, like pain and like uh, the um, ability to control your muscle in various lengths and so on. But what I do know is that it worked um, and I'm really happy about that I have a tool to deal with that one whenever it arises because it's something that will probably never go away as far as I understand. Like right now sitting here doing the podcast, I can feel that area and it's not very painful or actually it's not painful at all now, but I can feel it. Um, And... um, yeah, so that was like maybe my worst one ever, I think, like in terms of like how long it took, the fact that I had to stop completely. Uh, of course, I, I become a sulking, sad face man that, that went around and, ooh, I can't do anything. So instead of like finding things that I could do, I would just uh, be sad face man. So uh, that is also something that I have tried to develop over the the years. It's just like, okay, now this sucks. I can't use this part. Uh, instead of obsessing about that part, which was kind of a tendency I very often had to be become very focused on the thing that didn't work to try to find, okay, but there are a bunch of other things that you might be able to do a little bit of and at least you're, you're keeping yourself busy or interested. Um, and another one was when I hurt my wrist really badly in Copenhagen when I did like a, a jump switch on cane and I had made like this is what I thought was a great idea, a cane plate that I could fold together and I had put a hinge on it and kind of um, a lock. So I thought it would work very well, but it obviously didn't. Um, and uh, like the cane moved out of the way and I destroyed my wrist. It took about like eight weeks to to get the wrist back in action. And uh, I had to perform on it even on the cruise ship. Uh, during that time, I remember like, uh, I remember I wrote Emmet, like Emmet, how many milligrams of ibuprofen do you think I should should uh, hit myself with just to just to get through the act? Because I didn't have a choice. He he was like, like load up eight hundred milligrams for a couple of days. So I did, um, and I I did that. I put on this heating cream, which is also like uh, has some painkillers in it. I put on a bandage around the entire like like to to support it and then i used gaffa tape around the rest of the wrist so it, it was just literally a cement block my entire wrist in in the position which i would handstand in and i got through the act i didn't need to do many one arms on it but it was on a fucking ship and anyone that has done hand balancing on the fucking ship you know what i'm talking about it's not exactly precise um and um yeah, this one took me like weeks and weeks to to recover. It was absolutely horrible. Um, and like I would really have to kind of like scale back all kind of movements with, with the wrist uh, to the point where like in the end I was, uh, I was doing this test in the morning where I would put the hand on the wall just like in whatever angle it would be comfortable with and just like feel, okay, is this okay? And then slowly but surely, I could, I could like get it back to full flexion. I could start putting some weight on it, uh, and I could start putting it on the floor. I could start doing a, a knee supported push up position, a normal push up position, so on and so on. And I would really have to take this very gradually because it just it, whenever I would do any kind of like uh, go overboard, it would just like kill me. So it was like a, like definitely by far the worst wrist injury I've ever had. Um, and yeah, I think it was a total of six weeks before I could two arm and then like a couple of weeks more before I could do like a small one arm. Um, and then slowly but surely the wrist came back to, to full function. Uh, and I think that is also like a very important takeaway of all these like injury related things is that like if you do apply the 
correct amount of, of load and you build your tolerance back, you can, in very many cases, recover fully. But it needs to go a lot slower than you might wish <laughs> that yeah, it um, did. And yeah, fast forwards to now where I got my super spinatus tear, which uh, also is one of the ones that have sucked the most. It's perhaps the injury I've had that lasted the longest in terms of uh, annoyance. And I did go to the physio and they did an ultrasound, which is, I mean, not the most accurate, but he did see a, a small tear in the super spinatus uh, and the attachment onto the, the humeral head. Uh, and he basically, he looked at the other tendons, at least in the rotator cuff. He couldn't see the labrum, but he said that like it's likely that your issue is here. Gave me a couple of basic rotation, uh, external rotation exercises that I was working on for a while. But this one also has proved to be like a very difficult one to actually get fully through uh, because it has left me with some instability in the arm, which makes like literally I will drop without knowing why from handstands. Uh, so doing a one arm, like I, I don't have the ability to control my balance as I did before. And it's it's getting better, but the variance is extremely high. Like I'll have days where I will fall out of everything. And then I'll have days where I am like almost perfect, um, which is also due to be expected through a recovery process of such a thing. Um, I am not expecting to be fully well uh, for at least a couple of more months. And I'm going rather slowly with it. And since then, I've been able to do like almost all my vocabulary. The only thing that I cannot do and I might not ever be able to do is like lower down to crocodile on one arm. Um, like because it just that exact angle of, of resistance is just something that feels dreadful. And I'm sure if if someone put a gun to my head now and told me to do it, I could do it and then my arm would be wrecked and uh, I couldn't use it for a very long time. So it's something that I'm definitely going to leave for last if if ever bothering to do again, hoping I can, but uh, also need to be realistic at this stage and uh, yeah, take it slowly. It's uh, I've done all these things for very many years and I mean, these things will, I mean, at one point you will have to start fading out certain things and I'm pretty much fine with, with uh, making certain sacrifices in terms of health, of course, but trying to keep a reasonably high level of practice anyway uh, can certainly be frustrating. I'm definitely not immune to the frustrations and I'm definitely not immune to the entire, um, to making mistakes. Uh, so it's certainly something that like building patience and building kind of resilience to your own bullshit is one of the most important things like oh i must just try the thing because now i feel good is something i've fallen prey to many times uh, even during the last months not very smart so like sticking to the plan like having a like uh, making sure that the things you're working on are on a lower level than like your maximal and that you you stick to that is is super important uh, and finding more kind of like a a minimalist type of um, uh, approach as we talked about in one of our episodes can be a a strategy to use when when dealing with this so yeah um like long story short injuries suck um but they happen and um they happen to everyone, um, but it's like some people are less injured than others. You will see on average, if you're like the older you get, you will be less resilient to to injuries. Things might take longer to heal and so on. So you need you need to pay attention and you need to be realistic, I think, uh, in the end, because like trying to just gung-ho yourself uh, through this is, is 
like not the best op option and particularly so if you're like passing into your 30s and over um, and this is something you can also of course see in other sports and other athletic or like activities that people do not have the same or like the the best athletes will be younger i mean it's, it's natural so yeah taking your time with these and yeah knowing that even the best athletes you might know of or follow or whatever like they they are also prone to getting wrecked so there's nothing abnormal about it take your time and yeah don't be an idiot so this was my rant on uh, bits and pieces and things and thanks and uh, yeah thanks for tuning in and uh, see you next time the handstand cast is brought to you by handstand factory and is produced by motion impulse thanks for tuning in you can find a full transcript of each episode along with the show notes and any relevant references on handstandfactory.com podcast thanks to isaac for editing and jordan for transcriptions music by daniel horworth if you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee on buymeacoffee.com or consider starting one of our Handstand Factory online programs. Links are in the show notes. <laughs>